The following message is from Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Um, I want to start off, because we have the first through eighth graders in the room, I want to start off with a question for you guys. And um, a couple weeks ago, we had our VBS, and this is kind of how we started our time. And we actually have a mic. I think Ms. Kim and, and uh, Pastor Lester have mics. So um, I want to just start with a simple question for the first through eighth graders. Um, what are some things you do for your mom or dad to help them know how much you love them? If you want to communicate to your parents how much you love them, what, what are some things that you do? Any volunteers? <laughs> they weren't this shy at VBS. I think it's all the adults in their room is intimidating them. Anyone? Okay, this is, this is not how I planned this would go. <laughs> Any volunteers? Oh, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. I hug them. You hug them. Oh, nice. All right. Anyone else besides Peyton? Write for them. You, you write for them? Oh, you write notes, cards? That's wonderful. Do, do, they keep these, do they keep these cards, Lonnie? Do they keep the cards that you give them? Yeah, that's wonderful. How about gifts? Does anyone give gifts to their parents on Mother's Day or their birthday or Christmas? Yeah. All right, let's cut this part now. So the point of this exercise, which was a total fail, was that... We, when we love someone, we, as much as we can. Oh, do we have one there? Yep. Go ahead. Um, buying my dad his new pickleball paddle for his birthday. Oh. <laughs> Brennan, you're speaking my love language. <laughs> he bought him a new pickleball paddle. All right. So when we love someone, thank you, Brennan. When we love someone, we, we want to express that love to them. We, there's nothing more than we want for them to receive our love, right, and to reciprocate that love, to, to love us back. And so we do that in so many ways, don't we? We tell them that we love them. We use our mouths. We write cards and notes to them. We give them gifts like pickleball paddles. And we want, when we love someone, we want them to know and experience our love. And um, God does the same thing, I believe. We know that the Bible tells us that Jesus loves us, right? But we also know through the cross that Jesus expressed his love to us by dying for our sins. But God doesn't just tell us through his word. He also shows us and he gives us gifts um, to remind us of his love, the nature of his love. And so, you know, when I was uh, a bit younger and I, I knew that I was going to marry Kim, my wife now, um, I didn't just tell her that I loved her. Like I would get her gifts, right? I would buy her flowers. I would give her so many things because I wanted her to know how much I loved her. And it had to go beyond just words. And so every day she would wake up, I would want her to look at the flowers I gave her or the notes that I wrote her or the gift that I gave her as a physical reminder of my love for her. And again, I believe that God does this for us too. He doesn't just tell us that he loves us in his word. He also gives us so many things to remind us every day how much he loves us because that's what you do when you love someone. 
and you want nothing for them to know how much you love them, and you want them to love you back. And I believe God wants you to know how much he loves you. And I see this even in his commands for us. They are not just rules to keep us from hurting ourselves, but these are ways in which God is showing us the nature of his love and how much he loves us. So a few weeks ago, I talked about the fourth command. Does any of the children here today know what the fourth commandment is from, from the Bible? Yeah. That's right. Keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's wonderful. Thank you. Now, this is a strange and often misunderstood and misapplied command. And the problem is we've twisted it so much and we've made it about us. And we made it about following rules that I think we've lost sight of what God wants us to see. The Sabbath is about something much bigger than reserving a day to go to church. It's so much bigger than not doing work or defining what is work and what is not work. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I spoke on the Sabbath and how it is actually a gift from God that he has given to us. But what if I told you that God gave us this command, not just as a gift to us, but as a message of love? and hope for us. And so I want to continue on this theme by showing that the Sabbath is not just about finding rest in God, but it's actually an expression of God's greater mission for this world and his great love for us. And it's an invitation by God to experience in the here and now, every week. And that is basically what the gospel is, right? That, that God gave us a Sabbath, one of the most powerful pictures and telling of the story of the gospel and not just to know it, but to live it and to experience it. Um, I'm going to read this passage. That we, um, some of it we read uh, a few weeks ago when I preached on this topic. But um, before I do, I want to just kind of explain the context of, of what's happening here. In this point, and this is the middle of Matthew's gospel, Jesus' popularity is rising, right, among all the people. And so many people are following him around, and they, they are intrigued by his teaching and they're intrigued by the authority by which he teaches, and they're drawn to him. And they're drawn to him because he's doing all these miraculous healings. He's doing these great things, and he's, and he's actually giving them food, right? He's feeding people by the thousands. And who wouldn't want to follow Jesus at this point, right? And so he's, everyone's talking about Jesus. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they're not happy with this at all, right? Jesus is a threat to them, and he's a threat to their way of life. And not only that, he's way more popular than them, than them, And not only is he challenging the, their wisdom and their authority, but in their minds he's dangerous because they feel that Jesus is misleading them from the truth. And so this conflict is, is ongoing all throughout the Gospels, and it comes to a head on this one issue, and it's, the, it's about the law of the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are, are so mad, they're infuriated, that the, and then they have this Huge confrontation because the disciples and Jesus, they just seem like, well, what's the big deal? They're so flippant about obeying their, the, all these Sabbath laws. Why can't they just fall in line and obey the Sabbath just like everyone else, right? This is what the Pharisees thought. And so now before Jesus and the Pharisees, they have this huge confrontation on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath actually is a Hebrew word that means rest. And it's important to note that Jesus takes a moment before this big confrontation and we read these important words in Matthew 11. He says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, from this passage, we learn a very simple thing from the get-go. That Jesus is the source of the Sabbath. Jesus is our true rest. Okay? I'm going to ask for a couple volunteers. I already talked to, uh, <laughs> to their parents. But, Juani, can you come up here? Evie, can you come up here? So, Juani helped me out at the VBS a couple weeks ago. And, um, yeah, come over here. And um, can you see everyone? Do you remember, Juani? Can I get a mic, actually? Do you remember, Juani, what, um, what a yoke is? Do you remember? Yeah, do you want to share? What's a yoke? Something that you put on cows to carry heavy things. That's right. That's right. Evie, do you remember that too? Yeah. And so here's a picture of a yoke, right? It's a wooden frame or a beam that joins two animals together like cows or oxen, typically very strong animals. And sometimes they plow fields, right? And sometimes they carry really heavy loads because it's too hard to do by themselves, right? And so they need help. And so together they can do a lot more. And if you look at it, it kind of it looks like a wooden crossbeam, right? It kind of looks like that. But it's a little bit different because it's made for two people, right? Or two animals, not one, right? So I want to ask you to do something for me, Juani. I want you to give your sister, Evie, a piggyback ride. Can you do that? Sure. sure? All right. So why don't you go to this floor and... I'm, and Evie, I want you to get on Juani's back. Why don't you go to the very bottom floor here? Yeah, all the way to the bottom. I don't want, I don't want you to fall on the stairs. Can you, get, can you jump on his back, Evie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you got her? Now you go all the way to the end of, the, end of, this, end of this row. Can you get to the doors? Can you make it? All right. Keep going. You got this. Let's cheer him on. You got this, Juani. Be careful. Okay, can you... Can you try coming back? It's all right. Just come back. Okay, one more time. All right. There you go. Good job. Now, tell me, Juani, how how do you feel? Tired. Tired. (laughs) How do you feel, Evie? (laughs) Okay, so you, you feel tired, right? Why do you feel tired? It's a lot of work carrying her, right? Right? And so this time I want to try something different. Okay? Um, just like we did at VBS, we're going to pretend that this is a yoke. Okay? This is not wooden, but let's pretend this is a yoke. They were out of yokes at Costco, so I have to use this, okay? So put, put your arm through here. Evie, this time I want you to jump on my back. Can you do that? All right? You jump on my back. All right. Let's go, Adi. How does this feel? Why does it feel so much better? Oh, it's not tiring. You don't have to carry anything. Okay, come with me. How you doing, Evie? Good. All right. Okay. So you stay on my back, Evie. Okay, you hold on tight, but don't choke me. Okay, now let's turn her around. Now, that was much easier, wasn't it? Why, why was it easier? I didn't have to carry anything. You didn't have to carry anything. What did you have to do? Okay. I want you to walk again. This, just go straight to those double doors. Okay. Hold, stay on the yoke with me. Stay on the yoke.
Stay on the yoke. Okay. Now go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let's go. Where are you go? What, what's what's wrong? You're too heavy. I'm too heavy. You sure I'm not too strong? You sure it's, I'm too heavy? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. I want you to go that way now. Come on. Why aren't you moving? Because you're too heavy. I'm too heavy. All right. We established I'm too heavy. Now I'm gonna go this way. You go that way. You go that way. I'm going this way. Now what's happening? What's happening? You're all right, I'm going to get on that. Okay. You guys didn't hear that, but he also said you're stronger than me. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Let's give him a hand. So, ooh, I'm out of breath. So, Juan, he made it very clear. I'm heavier than him, but I'm also a little bit stronger than him. And um, I wanted to just show you in a very visual way. I love this metaphor. I talk about this all the time, especially when it comes to this idea of what the gospel is. I'm really out of breath right now. <laughs> and because I think it's such, a, it's such a profound picture of what Jesus is actually inviting us into. You know, um, when Juani tried to, to go in a different direction from me, it was harder be harder. He couldn't move at all, right? When he tried to do it himself and carry Evie, that's really life for most of us, apart from Christ. We will go our whole lives trying to carry this burden that we weren't meant to carry. And yet Jesus invites us to become one with him, to yoke ourselves with him. But not only that, the only way that a yoke can be easy and light is if we move in the same direction of the stronger one, Right? And we move in the same pace as the one who's carrying the load. And that is the only way that it works, right? Or a yoke is easy and light. And that is exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. The Sabbath is an invitation to become one with Jesus. And that is the picture of what the yoke is. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to switch to my headset mic. Is that better? And so the Sabbath is an invitation to become one with Jesus. And so our job is really simple. It's just to connect ourselves with Jesus, to become one with him, to follow him wherever he wants us to go, to move in the same direction, the same path, and the same pace as Jesus. And the oneness that Jesus invites us to, that is restful. And we must enjoin ourselves with him and simply follow him and the invitation to the very first disciples is the same invitation that Jesus extends to each one of us to come, to follow me, to take my yoke upon you, become one with me. And this is the picture that Jesus gives of finding rest for our souls. And this is what Sabbath rest is supposed to look like, to make the conscious and intentional decision by faith to become one with Jesus and to follow him. What does this oneness look like exactly? What are the ways that we can live out the will of God and the way of Jesus? Well, Matthew already tells us a few chapters earlier in Matthew 5 through 7 in Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, which Pastor Steve did a whole sermon series on recently. What does that look like to surrender our will and to follow Jesus, to become one with him? It means we surrender our anger, our lust, our need for revenge to Jesus. It means we don't worry about how God is going to provide for our needs, 
We don't go about hoarding material wealth, but we seek first his kingdom. It means we don't pray and fast and give for the praises of men, but we seek first his righteousness. It means that we don't look down on others, but we treat others the way that we would want to be treated. And we do all this not to honor religious rituals or because we believe that somehow if we obey God that he's going to love us more or show us favor like the Pharisees did. We do this simply because we trust Jesus as the Son of God. And we believe that he loves us and then he knows what is for our good and what is for his glory. And this is what it means to surrender to the will of Jesus and become one with him. And this is a living example of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, as I said a few weeks ago, I shared about how the Sabbath is a day that God has given us as a gift to intentionally care for our mind, for our body and spirit, and to refrain, not just from work, but from all of our normal activities and chores so that we can just stop and we can be quiet and we can quiet our souls and we can listen so that we can be fully present with God, fully present with ourselves, fully present with one another. And if you weren't here for that message, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. I, I try to give some very practical ways in which we can observe the Sabbath in a way I think that God intended, that honors these things. But this is what Jesus is inviting us to when he says, come to me. It's an invitation to oneness with Christ. And I believe that the only way that we can be fully present with ourselves and with one another is if we're fully, first fully present with God himself, the one who made us. Many of us are so busy doing our own thing, we're chasing our own agendas and our dreams, we're achieving our own goals that we don't want to surrender ourselves to the way of Jesus. And we're moving in the direction he wants us to, we don't want to move in the direction he wants us to go. We don't want to surrender ourselves. And we don't want to move at the pace, you know, we want to move faster. We don't want to stop. We don't want to rest. We don't want to join ourselves with him. We want to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. And we want to choose our own path. But in the end, that doesn't lead to the kind of rest that our soul really needs. It makes us more tired, more exhausted in every way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And Jesus knows this, and so he invites us to come to him, to put on his yoke and become one with him, to surrender to his will and ways, and to go where he leads us. And so Jesus reveals himself as the source of true rest. And then right after that, in Matthew 12, the very next few verses, he sets up this confrontation with the Pharisees around the Sabbath. And it says this in Matthew 12, verse 1. It says, at the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, well, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests of, on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Um, I believe Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here. And Matthew is actually very careful in his gospel to arrange it in this order to unveil this deeper meaning and the message of the Sabbath. 
And he does this by deliberately alternating between these narratives of Jesus' interaction with people and with the Pharisees and also uh, teaching from Jesus on the Sabbath. I'm not going to spend too much time on this portion of the text, as I already spoke on in a sermon a few weeks ago. But in, but in first revealing Jesus himself as the source of the Sabbath, the place of true rest, Jesus is now ready to confront them on their misguided beliefs and their application of the Sabbath. And he does this by first establishing that he is the authority on the subject, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one true ruler. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Why? Because as the author, he alone holds the authority. So he has the final say. And what does he have to say? He shows them how they got it all wrong. The Sabbath was not about strict compliance of hundreds of man-made rules or laws or the observance of religious rituals. The Sabbath was about intentionally setting aside time and making space for God, for ourselves, and for others so that we might experience the hesed love of God, God's compassion, God's loving kindness. It's that that Old Testament term of, of God's loving kindness that really you cannot define with, with one word, English word. There's so many words that make up this word that encompasses the character and love and the nature of God himself. And it's here that God is saying, I want you to experience this in the Sabbath. And I want you to extend now that same hesed love to one another. And so this is what Jesus meant when he says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. And Jesus is repeating the prophet Hosea here. He's reminding them that this is God's great desire. This has always been God's great desire for his people to know and experience his mercy, his hesed love, especially on this day, set aside from normal work and normal activities. God's people were to prioritize love, kindness, mercy, and compassion in their interactions with one another. Why? Because that is exactly what God was pouring out on them through his gift of the Sabbath to them. And this was and this is the meaning and the message of the Sabbath. Now, I didn't get to this text last time, but what happens next is so important to the bigger story. And I think it really captures the fullness of the power and the promise of the Sabbath. In verse 9 in Matthew 12, it says this, Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and there was a man with a shriveled hand was there. And he was looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. And, you know, this is, this is quite amazing, I think. At this point, Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of these Pharisees. And he's telling them, look, you, you guys make exceptions all the time for your farm animals, right, to care for them if they're hurt, if they're hurting, if they need saving, just to protect your farm animals and, and your money. And yet, look, look at how you treat one another. There's a man right here with a shriveled hand, and, and you, you're more indignant about me healing this man 
You care more for your animals than you even care for these people that are around you every day. And so it's Jesus' turn to be indignant. And right after Jesus tells these guys they got it all wrong, he does something that shocks them. He goes to the synagogue, which is actually a very public place. It's a community center, right, if you will. And in Jesus' day, this is where Jewish people gathered to pray together and to receive teaching on Scripture and teaching on Jewish laws and traditions. And it's here Jesus is going to hold a real teaching session on the Sabbath. And he does what is unthinkable in their eyes. And he demonstrates what exactly what hesed mercy looks like by healing this man with a shriveled hand in front of this large crowd, including his greatest enemies, right after they tell him, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And it's about, if you think about it, it's about as offensive a thing as Jesus could do in that moment, and he does it. And Jesus is like, you don't like, you don't like it when I do miracles? Well, watch this. And in the very next verse, we see their reaction, Right? Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. And aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. Now, at this moment, this is like the breaking point for the Pharisees, and this is actually a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Now is when they've like resolved amongst themselves, oh, we're going to take this guy down. His fate is sealed. We are going to destroy him. But this doesn't deter Jesus. He goes on not only to heal this one man, but we're told he goes on to heal many, many others. What is going on here? Is Jesus just trying to stick it to the righteous, to the religious leaders? Or something bigger happening here? I, I believe it's, this is not to be missed. When Jesus is going around and he's healing all these people and all these large crowds are following him, it actually harkens back to uh, earlier in Matthew's gospel, before he begins his ministry, at the very start of his ministry, in Matthew 4, it says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so Jesus opened his ministry by doing this very thing in the synagogues, just as he was doing now on the Sabbath. But what's the big deal? But the big deal is he's doing it on the Sabbath now. He's doing it on the Sabbath. Why? I believe it's to show that Jesus alone is the hope of the Sabbath. He is our true restoration. Jesus is the hope of the Sabbath, our true restoration. Make no mistake, Jesus is healing on this day because he is tying his life, his ministry, and the Sabbath to the gospel itself, the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is connecting the dots for us. He is the source of the Sabbath. He is where we find true rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the true ruler, the true authority. He is the hope of the Sabbath. He is the source of true restoration, renewal. And the Pharisees, they completely missed it. The Sabbath is not about us. It's not about our gift to God. The Sabbath is about Jesus. The Sabbath is about his gift to us. And when we come to the end of the Bible story in the very last chapters of Revelation, we see all that the Sabbath points to. It all just kind of comes together in John's vision of the future. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, John says, writes this. He says, then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I love, can we go back to that verse? I love, I love the image there. It's, it's going back to this idea of, of this marriage and two becoming one. Do you remember? That's how God defines the marriage union, as two becoming one. And even now in this vision, heaven and earth, two are becoming one again. And then it says this, and I heard a loud voice from this throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I think this is such a powerful picture of the Sabbath. If you can go back to that, that last slide. And, you know, it, this is just what it means. This is, the, this, this is the heart of God. That we would dwell with him again. That we would be, that he would be our God. That we would be his people. That we'd be fully present with God and with one another. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. And then Revelation says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And here in this text, in this, in this vision, we see two becoming one. We see God's desire to be a dwelling place for us in union with him again. And we see that he is making all things new. He is recreating, renewing, restoring a creation that has been separated because of sin and chosen to be apart from God. And when we enter into union with Christ, we become one with him. That is the promise of God. That is the hope of the gospel. And, is the, and through his son and through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. He will bring about renewal. He will bring about restoration. It is in that order. When you come to me, when you become one with me, I will restore you. I will renew you. You will find rest. The God of the universe is restoring all things back to its original state before the curse of sin devastated this fallen world, and he's doing it physically. He's doing it in such simple ways, through the healing of a, of a shriveled man's hand. He's doing it through the healing of a blind man. He's doing it in emotional ways, by restoring the dignity to those who are forgotten and shamed, like the lepers, the tax collectors, and the sinners. And he's doing it spiritually, by liberating the demon-possessed, exercising those that are in bondage. And this is the message. This is the mission of the Sabbath. And if you think about it, we see the same message in, in almost everything that God calls us to and invites us to practice regularly. You see it in baptism. You see the same message in communion. You see it in marriage. You see it even within the church. It's as if the purpose of God's instructions and institutions is actually to serve as constant reminders to a blind and deaf world. I love you. I want you to know. Come back to me. I want to close with one last uh, picture here I, I, I saw recently. It was a photo and, um, taken by actually a, a pilot. 
His name is Lloyd Ferraro. And he was taken at 30,000 feet in the air, and it's called a complete rainbow. And I, I actually didn't know this, but um, I guess a rainbow, a full rainbow is actually a complete circle, right? I mean, I think the way that we think about rainbows is always as a semicircle, just from one area to another. And yet, a rainbow is actually a, a full, complete circle. But the only way you can observe this is if you are like 30,000 feet in the air and in the right conditions and at the right angle. It, a lot of things have to go right, and you have to be in the right place to be able to appreciate a full circle rainbow. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and, you know, the, the rainbow, as we all know, is, is, a, is a sign of God's covenant that, that God would never destroy the, the, the earth again like he did um, with the flood. It was a sign, a promise. I will never do that again. I will never destroy the world like this again. And, and yet, as I was kind of just meditating on in, in my own sanctified imagination, I was like, well, why, why do we only see half the rainbow then? And I just wonder if the complete rainbow is not just that God will never destroy the world again, but that God is going to restore the world again and reconcile it to himself. And that is the great covenant and promise, and not all of us can see it. We have to have a God's eye view to be able to see that and to believe it. And yet that is the promise, I believe, of God. Not only that he was going to withhold judgment and judge the world in that way again, but that he is coming to restore and renew a creation that has separated itself and chosen in rebellion to, to run from him and to restore it and renew back to its state as it was in the garden. And that is the promise that he extends to all of us, and that is the hope of the gospel. And that is really what the Sabbath is about. It's not about not working, doing the right things, not doing the right things. It's an invitation to Jesus himself and the promise that he represents and the hope of what is to come. And, you know, I think, as I said, that this picture that Jesus gives us of where to discover rest It's so beautiful and so profound. It's in a place that we would never think. A yoke of all things. And just as Jesus carried the cross, he now invites us to join him on this wooden beam made for two. To go where he calls us to go to move in the direction he wants us to move. To sit and stay when he calls us to sit and stay. To move quickly when he calls us to move quickly. And it is in this place that we find oneness with the one who made us, who loves us, who knows us. It's in this place that we find our true rest true Sabbath. And so I want to ask you today in the quietness of your heart in this room, have you taken on the yoke of Christ? And if you have, 
if you still find yourself weary and heavy laden, are you resisting Jesus and where he wants you to go? And he's calling you to, to give. He's calling you to forgive. He's calling you to let go of that sin. He's calling you to trust him, to provide. He's calling you to do unto that other person what you would want them to do to you, not what they have done to you. That is the way of, of Jesus. That is the way to rest. And when you step into his oneness, when you trust him in this way, it is then and only then that you will discover not just the rest that he provides, but the renewal, the restoration, the promise that he says, behold, I am making all things new. That doesn't just happen in a vision in a day to come. It can happen in the here and in the now. In your very lives, in your very situation, God can make all things new. But it requires faith. It requires taking on that yoke. It requires letting him take on the burden that you've carried for so long. But this is what it means to Sabbath. This is what it means to rest. And God wants you to know so much how much he loves you. The nature of his love and the promise that is to come for all who trust in him, who trust his heart, who trust in enough to follow him. So let's take a minute, let's reflect upon those words and let's respond in our own heart of hearts and then in song as our worship team leads us.